0: morning, Poetry Baptist Church. Friends, family, visitors, welcome. I love to pray, so let's pray some more. God, we love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the glorious gift that you give us as your children, those who have been created in your image in likeness, those for whom before the foundation of the cosmos The lamb was slain. Thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here together in this place as your people, those who call Christ our Lord and Savior and for those God who are still seeking, those who are lost. As your church, Lord, our mission is to pursue, win, and disciple those who are lost, deluded, and disillusioned for your glory. And I pray today that you would be honored in the ministries of Poetry Baptist Church, the love of your people. May all that we do, all that we say, all of our behaviors, may they all bring glory and honor to you, God. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been in a sermon series called Back to the Basics. And then back to the basics, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this idea that I think we're doing things kind of goofy in church, that a lot of times we take the functions, the God-ordained functions, even things that are good, that God has ordained for his people and his bride is the church, and we take those things and we move the purpose of God the purpose of people out of the way to glorify Him in all things at all times forever, and we take our functions and we stick them up there. And the problem with doing that is extensive, it's deadly, it's horrific. And we start off with these good intentions of things that we want to do, but we forget that it's all for the glory of God. I met with a friend of ours that we went up to the Pacific Northwest this past week, and Pastor Marcus and his church family with Project Truth, he was talking about, someone asked him, they said, Pastor Marcus, why do you do this? And before the question was even out of their mouth, finished, Marcus responded, and he said, because I love people. Because I love people, and as he went into his story and he started to tell, he was talking about how his wife at the time, was living part-time with another man, even though Marcus and his wife were still in the same house. And his wife was having an affair with this other man. And Marcus said that he was harboring such hatred in his heart for this man that was destroying his marriage, wrecking his family. And he had told his wife on many occasions what he wanted to do to that guy. And he didn't tell us, but I think we can all kind of imagine. And then one day Marcus said he was praying and God convicted him in his heart. And God told Marcus, said, do you realize that there's nothing that that man can do to you that will ever compare to what you have done to me? And Marcus said that he was broken in that moment. And he prayed to God for forgiveness in the same way, I think, that King David, when the prophet came to him and told him the story about the man who had taken the sheep, and he realized that it was Bathsheba, and he prayed to God for forgiveness, and he was restored, and God said, your sin is as far away as the east is from the west, but to get there, repentance is required. And Marcus said that his wife was on the phone in the house, with this man, and he walked over and he said, can I talk to him? And his wife said, of course you can't talk to him. I know what you want to do. And he said, no. He said, please, can I talk to him? And Marcus got on the phone, and he said to the man who was sleeping with his wife, I thank you for forgiveness. And the man instantly responded and said, forgiveness, I need to be the one asking you for forgiveness for what I'm doing. And Marcus says, we can talk about that later, but right now I need to ask for your forgiveness. See, because inside of my heart, I was harboring such hatred for you. And God convicted me and said, there's nothing, there's nothing that that man could ever do to you, Marcus, that will ever compare to what you've done to me. That's the segue that's going to lead us in this morning. Why are you here? We touched on this a couple of weeks ago. Why are you here? Why did you come to church this morning? If you're a saint that's been redeemed, you're someone that's called out to God, that's been born again by the Spirit, that's been sealed, and you know where your eternal address is, then you should know why you're here to glorify God. If you're someone who's maybe struggling with the word, struggling with faith, struggling and asking questions, whether or not any of this stuff is even true, you're struggling. Maybe that's why you're here. And that's why we're here for you as God's people to be the gospel for you. See, because he died For my sin. And I don't just say, God, thank you for blessing me with the gift of faith. Now I'm going to go have a sin party for the rest of my life because I know I'm good with you. But yet that's what many Christians are doing today. And I say, Christians. See, because when God really gets a hold of your heart and He changes your life forever, you don't say, I think I'm just going to sleep in on Sunday morning. You don't just say, you know what, it's kind of inconvenient for me to get up and actually be a member of the body of Christ, to be part of the bride, to be a blessing to someone else. See, if you're still living that selfish life, I don't think it's because of apostasy, I don't think it's because of falling away, my guess is is that you never really knew him. And Jesus would say, I never really knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. And a couple of weeks ago, we came up with all kinds of answers. I'm here for the worship. I'm here for the edification. Iron sharpens iron. I'm here to learn about morality. I'm here for reconciliation, for discipleship. And there's a whole host of reasons why you could be here. And let me tell you, let me tell you, there's only one. The only reason why we're here is to glorify God. That's our purpose. And what we do is we take all of these things and their functions and we put them up there where the purpose goes and then we go into a church family and we say, you know, y'all don't worship the way I worship and that's the most, that's the reason why I came. And since that's the reason why I came, then you know what, those people at Poetry, forget them, man. Their doctrine on scripture doesn't really line up perfectly with mine, so forget them. I'm gonna go down the road See, because it's all about me and what's comfortable for me and what I want about my Sunday experience, my Saturday night experience. It's about me. And see, we talked about that, and I put this little picture up there of a a soundboard with all of its hundreds of knobs and dials with all the different settings. And see, that's you as an individual. There's not another person on this planet who has those things dialed in to the exact same specifications that you have and so when church doesn't work out for you what we say is you know what that just wasn't the one i guess i better keep shopping we like to use that word shop for church right because we're consumers i got my amazon account and my wife and i joke around everything we get is from amazon but church ain't amazon it's not walmart it's not kroger This is the people in the temple of God. And if you're not here to glorify him, you're here for the wrong reason. And it's gonna get all kinds of wonky. And there's gonna be a wake of destruction in your path because you're gonna break pastor's hearts that poured into you and loved on you. And then one day you just decided, you know what, it just doesn't work for me anymore. And you leave because... I'm a consumer, I'm a shopper. And those guys down the street, they've got a better band. The guy doesn't talk as long. He doesn't go that deep into scripture. He doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. Are you here to glorify God? So the question that we asked a couple of weeks ago was how do we turn it on? See, because we come into this world as sinners, right? And if you don't know that, it's true. David said it, surely I was sin. At the time my mother conceived me. When I was that little zygote inside a mama and all those cells started to multiply because of the grace and the wonder of God, you were already a sinner. You didn't have to do anything. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. So how do you turn it on from sin to glorify? Well, Jim talked about it a little bit last week. We serve one another. But the way that we do it is that we call out to God the same way that Job called out to God. Realizing that he was stuck in his sin, that he was challenging God, he called out and he said, God, teach me and I'll be silent. Make me understand in all of my density and all of my ignorance and all of my pride and all of my opinions. Shut me up so that I can stop listening to all the noise. And let me listen to you because you're really the only one that matters. Make me understand how I've gone astray. So where we're gonna land today is in Genesis chapter two. That's gonna be kind of our focal point. That's gonna be our launching point for the sermon today. Genesis chapter two. And our sermon is about being watchful, guarded and vigilant. God ordained function, not purpose, purpose according to scripture if you have a bulletin you open it up and you said man somebody printed this thing upside down <laughs> yes yeah, somebody did print it upside down so get over it <laughs> stuff happens okay stuff happens technology's wonderful until it isn't anymore We gotta be watchful, right? We can't mess up purpose and function because when we do, church and life, it gets wonky. And so inside of that bulletin, there's a, it says at the top, it says the point. So I'm gonna give you a second. I'm not gonna give you long enough to write it all down, but we glorify God when we function as intended by God. We glorify God when we function as God intended, serving others, As Christ served us, Jim talked about service last week, serving, loving God, loving others, and guarding our relationships with God and with others. If you don't get to write that whole thing down, that's okay. I'm gonna move ahead. Because I talk too much, and this is gonna be really long. Dissonance, adverse discrepancy, wonky, discontinuity, things don't fit you picture pieces of a puzzle and they don't line up see you don't have to be a christian to recognize the fact that things in the world are not the way they ought to be it doesn't matter who you talk to you could talk to connor or lavelle you could go down to starbucks this morning and i guarantee if you started a dialogue with anyone it doesn't matter who they are and you opened up to them and they actually spoke with you, that you'd come to a point where you'd find out that they're going to say something that communicates that things in life and in the world are not the way they're supposed to be. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. You start talking about politics and people are like, Hillary should have been the president. And then we all get out our... Argh. No! No! We were mad. Some of us, when Barack Obama became president, it should have been our guy. No, it should have been our guy. You start talking about world religion and people are like, I don't like that. I don't like that Christianity thing, Mahatma Gandhi said. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like you Christians. And what he was saying was that there's a discontinuity, there's a discrepancy, there's dissonance between what we say and what we do. And it exists out in the world too. And so it lays a foundation for us that if things aren't the way they're supposed to be, the answer isn't more government. The answer isn't a person, the answer is God. And that's the God of Scripture who we're going to talk about today. We're not up here talking about politics. We remember that our purpose, why do we do the things that we do? It's to glorify God. We do the things that we do to glorify God. But if we don't know why we're doing the things that we do, like we asked those little kids... You're going to get to a point in your life at some juncture and you're going to say, I don't want to do this church thing anymore. I'm not really getting anything out of it. And for many of you young people that are juniors and seniors in high school, and maybe you're sitting next to mom and dad this morning, or maybe you're just here, There's a good chance that you're going to get to a point where you go off to college or maybe you join the military or you follow a friend or you get a job somewhere else. Once you graduate and when mom and dad aren't there to tell you, hey, you need to get up, we're going to go to church this morning. Maybe what mom and dad should have told you from the beginning is we're not going to church. You are the church. And I want you to know that we're better because you're here. I don't want my kids to grow up, oh, I gotta go to church, otherwise mom and dad are gonna, they're gonna ride me, they're gonna rail me, they're gonna hassle me about what I'm wearing, about what I do, whether or not I'm paying attention. Maybe it's because of what we communicated to our kids is that we just wanted them to check a box so that we could feel good as parents instead of just pouring ourselves into them making them part of our family, helping them realize that at some point the baton is gonna get handed over to you. You're gonna be the person who's leading and serving. Why are you here? that's our transition into Genesis 2.15 because it's a great passage of scripture that tells us how do we do that? How do we glorify God? See, we understand the purpose. Pastor, I get it. You want me to glorify God in everything that I do, but how do I do that? How do I glorify God in my family, in my marriage, at my job, in my home, with my neighbors? How do I do it? And we think that we're gonna find the answer from Dr. Phil or from Oprah. And tragically, they let us down time and time and time again when what we really should have done is gone to God's word in the first place. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and dedicated him in the Garden of Eden to serve her and watch over her. Maybe in your translation, I pretty much guarantee it, it's not going to have that exact wording. It's probably going to say something about to work it and care for it or tend to it. But in the Hebrew language, it's her. See, garden is feminine, but also, see, there's this woman that God hadn't made yet. See, God back in Genesis 1:26 and 27, God said, Hey, Father. Spirit, let's get together here and let's talk about something. Let us, the three of us, Holy Trinity from eternity past, let's make them humanity, man and woman. Let's make them in our image, like us, not individuals, not selfish, not narcissistic, but a plurality. Let's make them in our image, but also in our likeness, What is God like? When I talk to people and I've taught on this and I've preached on it, I say, what is God like? It's not a synonym. It's not image and likeness and it's the same thing and God's just repeating himself. Image has to do with what does God look like? If we could see him, we'd see Father, Son, and Spirit and then we say, what is God like? What's his character? What's the character of God like? He's loving. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. He's gracious. His love abounds. His mercies are new every day. That's what God's like. And see, God said that, "Hey, let's make uh, let's make them in our image." You realize that that's what God made you to be like. That's what He made me to be like. How we doing? How we doing? The Lord God took the man, dedicated him in the garden of Eden to do two things. There's two verbs there, serve and watch over. Jim preached last week on serving, so if you want a a fuller exploration of that, then go back and listen to Jim's sermon from last week. We'll have it up on the website pretty soon. Today we're going to talk about watching over. If you're wondering what that little thing is off to the side, it's not a rocket ship. It's supposed to be a watchtower. It's a watchtower because when you get up there, you need a vantage point to see. In Old Testament Hebrew, prophets, one of the names for them was actually watchmen. That they were supposed to get up on the walls, not just the physical walls, but to get up on the walls and check the spiritual climate of Israel. And every time God gave a prophet a word, it was because things were going horribly, horribly wrong. He's ordained us to be watchmen. So in a sense, we're all supposed to be prophets. We're supposed to get up on that wall and we're supposed to look out. What are we supposed to look for? I'm gonna tell you, but that's a great question. We're supposed to watch over those God-ordained relationships. And there's three areas that I want you to think about that we're going to talk about today. There's the context of our relationships. There's the content of God's instruction on how to care for those relationships. And then there's the consequence. Not doing those things. Not listening to God first and foremost. Not loving God and functioning the way that God intended us. So let's start with context. The first one is God. He's our creator. He's Trinity. He's not deficient in any way, shape, or form. He's not a slave driver. Made us in his image and likeness, their image and likeness. See, we're supposed to guard that relationship that we have with God. See, if we don't see who God is and the fullness of who he is in and through his word, what's gonna happen is that we're gonna be like those kids that when they get a little bit older and nobody's got their thumb over the top of them saying, you better go to church. You better go to church, young lady. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. And see, what what happens when nobody's watching? what do they do? It's because they don't have any relationship with God. I had someone a few weeks, maybe a month or so back, they said, someone asked them in their family, they said, what's the incentive? What's the incentive for me as a Christian to go to church? If I'm good and I've got my hell insurance, let me check, see which pocket it's in. I've got my hell insurance. I prayed the magical prayer down there on the altar one day when I was just five or six years old, and I got the card. I can show it to you once I find it. I prayed the magical prayer. I I asked him into my heart, so I'm good. So what's the incentive? Why not just go to Waffle House? Why not just go hang out with my friends and justify the fact that, you know what, they're all lost. I'll just spend time with them and it's really, it's really like missionary work. Are you doing anything to reach people, to change the trajectory of their lives? How do you view God? How do you view others? Do you view other people as image bearers? We went on a trip to Portland and the streets in downtown Portland are full of homeless people. And I'm not talking about like the upper class homeless people we have in Dallas. We got some, and I'm not trying to be funny, we got some pretty good looking homeless people. You go to Portland and you see these people that literally look like they haven't taken a bath in a decade. And their nails on some of them were this long. And they have hair down to their waists. Some of them have just a shred of clothing on. There was one guy we drove past and he looked like he was picking bugs off of his body. How do you respond when you see that? Does that cease to be a human being? When you look at someone like that, one of those others, are you watching over? Are you up there in that guard tower on the wall looking out and saying, my God, my God, that could have been me if it wasn't for your mercy upon me. That if you didn't give me the right family that loved me and took care of me, That if you didn't bless me with a job, that if you didn't bless me with a home, with financial resources, that would be me, God. Or do we look at him and say, that's a monster. That's not even a human being. That person doesn't even deserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you would be one of those people that Jesus said, even though you've done a lot of religious stuff, I never knew you. Do we love and care for others? Do we see them as image bearers? Do we share the blessing of God or do we hoard his blessings? Do we exploit other human beings, other image bearers? Hey, I want to know what I can get out of you that's going to serve my agenda. Do we ignore them? Do we have apathy towards people? Do we dismiss them? I don't really like that person anymore. That must be a God-ordained thing. And then there's self. We're supposed to watch over ourself. If we don't care, take care of self, how are we supposed to take care of other people? We've got counselors and therapists all over the world that sit with people, and they try to help them work through their issues. When we were up in Portland, a couple of the church planners that we met with had us do personality tests to help us do exactly what Job was talking about. God, teach me. Not because it's pseudoscience, not because it's magic, but all truth is God's truth. And if you can reveal something about me, something about the blind spot that I can't even see in myself, that it helps me relate with my brothers and my sisters, If it's going to help me do that, then it's good. So that I can see them the way that you see them. So that I can see me the way that you see me, God. So we got to watch over that self. And I'm not talking on the last one, creation about us turning into tree huggers. That we should all go join Greenpeace and save the whales. Those are all fine and dandy, but see, when those things become our purpose in life, and it's not the purpose of God to glorify him, it's to glorify self. I'm caring more about a tree. Some of those people will get so upset at the guys who are cutting down trees or endangering species on the planet that they'll kill them. Another image bearer. We've lost sight of the purpose and we begin to worship our function and our identity. It's all about God-ordained relationships. So the time I wanna spend the most on today is about content, content. See, God took the man, he dedicated him in the Garden of Eden to Abad and shamar, to serve, to minister, and to watch over, to guard. And the content of that ministry. I'll tell you just a really brief story. Is the first time I went out with Christine. Picture uh, a, a table at a nice little Italian restaurant, and I had asked Christine out, and I said, "Would you like to go out with me?" And the first three or four times, she had excuses, and so I didn't think she was interested. So I unfriended her on Facebook. True story. Because I was 42 years old, and I was like, "I'm not playing games." I'm interested in this person. I've heard about her heart for missions and for ministry. And if she wants to ignore me, I'm okay with that. I'm a grown man. I've been rejected many times in the past. And if things didn't work out with Christine, it could have happened a bunch of times after that. And I thought that, well, she's just making excuses. She doesn't really want to go out with me. And it turned out that all of her excuses were valid and I jumped the gun and unfriending her and graciously God had her send me a friend request back and I accepted it and we talked. And then we went out on our first date and we sat down together and we're having dinner together at this nice Italian restaurant. And then we got done and I said, hey, would you like to go to this little coffee bar place? and it's really kind of cool, and they sell chocolate, and they've got this jazz music playing in the background, and we could talk and stuff, and we get there, and she's like, yeah, I like it, you know, and we're sitting down, and I start to talk to her, and I just undid myself. I started talking about God's word. I started talking about the Bible. I started talking about Genesis chapter two, and my mouth was going, and everything inside of me was saying, stop it. You're ruining it! But I couldn't because from the mouth comes the overflow of the heart. And so I shared with Christine my love for God's word and what I saw the neglect in Adam for his spouse. Going right back here, the content of what it was that God communicated you're free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God commanded it not to simply have his thumb over the top of us, but to preserve our relationships, to demonstrate his love and his authority, his care and his compassion. See, if we listen to God, things turn out pretty good. The content of that ministry serve her, watch over her. See, God gave us freedom that we could eat from any tree, but he also established limits because we're not God. Just the way we as parents set limits for our babies and for our kids and for our teenagers, even when they grow up to adults and we try to speak into their lives. The content of our ministry is God's word. That's the content. And what I would ask you, my challenge would be in the same way that how do you approach God is how do you approach his word? Is this a box to be checked off? When's the last time you open this up and you just marinated in it? And you just sat there and you just read God's word and you just wept tears of joy, tears of regret, tears of compassion to actually be able to see the heart of God in and through his word. See, because I wonder, is it just countdown to when we, like those teenagers, get to a place in our relationship with God that we just wander astray? All of those reflections, all the meditations of our heart, What they do is they reveal our view and our value of God. Jesus said in the New Testament, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Have you ever tested him in that? Have you ever tested Jesus in that? Did you go right to the end and say, I'm going to ask? and you didn't do it, so therefore this thing must just be some kind of a magical book that I haven't figured out yet. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he just doesn't care about me. Or, or maybe you need to back up just a little bit. Instead of fast-forwarding in our microwave culture to the end says if I ask, it's going to be done, right? Back up. If conditional statement if you remain in me have you are you abiding in christ is he your breath is he the wind beneath your wings or is he like that red handle on the wall inside of a building with the little hammer next to it that it's an emergency smash pull the handle bail me out god There's a fire in my life. Deliver me from my circumstances. Or do we go to him every morning? Do we pray continuously? Do we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or do we just jump to the end? I asked. He didn't do it. Must be fantasy. The content... See, I wonder how many of us, instead of actually taking things that are the thoughts of our head and our heart, instead of taking them captive and making them obedient to Christ, I wonder how many of us, we just back on our opinions. But Paul had to write in 2 Corinthians here, he said, for the weapons of our war are not the fleshly variety, but God-powered for the annihilation of strongholds. When I was in college and I took courses in apologetics, the professors would always open up to this verse and they say, this is how you win your argument. Sue, this is how you win that argument against that atheist. This is how, John, if you wanna know how to drub that Muslim into submission, right here, brother. You wanna know about that Jehovah's Witness? You wanna know how to get him with the elbow off the top rope? You want to know how to demolish those strongholds? And that's not what Paul's talking about at all. He's talking about the strongholds in me, the strongholds in you. See, the weapons that we fight with that are for, for our war, not the fleshly variety. It's not about winning that fleshy victory, but God-powered for the annihilation of strongholds within us continually tearing down our opinions and every idol that I've set up, lifting it up against the wisdom of God revealed in and through his word. Amen? Do we do that? Do we take captive every thought Many of our translations say to make it obedient to Christ. And that word that I translated here at the bottom, it actually means to hear someone's voice, someone who's your commander. You have to hear it before you can obey it. Are you leaning in and are you hearing that Zephyr wind of God so that he instructs your heart? See, that's the content of our ministry so that we can stand up and we can watch out for our relationship with God and with others, and with self, and with creation. And the consequence, here's where we wrap up our consequence. The woman took some of that fruit that God told her husband not to, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. I did, I took some words out to make it all fit on one slide and if that makes me a bad person or you think that I'm trying to bamboozle you, I'm not. I just want you to catch that picture. The woman took some and she, why did she do that? How did she get there to that place? Why is it that scripture tells us that sin entered the world through one man? She did it, right? It says it right there in black and white. But later on in the New Testament, it says that sin entered through one man. She got to that place because Adam didn't do what God had ordained for him to do in his relationship with God, to love and glorify him with everything he had at all times, forever. He neglected his ministry to his wife, We don't know how long between the end of chapter 2 of Genesis and chapter 3 begins. Was it a 100 years, a 1,000 years? But at some point, as Eve is walking down the road, having a chat with a serpent, Adam's standing over there and he says, I don't care. I've had it up to here with her. She's driving me nuts. If you want to walk down the road with a serpent, fine. Knock yourself out. Is that what God said to us? Is that what God said to you? When we were in our sin and we were down the road, is that what God said? Fine, Mike, have it your way. Build it however you want. I'm gonna sit back here and laugh at you as you burn for all eternity. Is that what he did? Or did he step down from heaven, allow himself to be born in a manger, go to a cross, nailed up there, and die for my sins? That's not a God who just said, fine. I'm going to let you go down the road with that serpent. Talk about whatever you want. And you know what? If you want to eat that fruit, knock yourself out. And you know what? Maybe God isn't really faithful. Maybe God isn't all that he's cracked up to be. And you know what? I'll have some of that too. Because scripture tells us he was right there with her. Right there with her. There's a consequence just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death was passed on to all humanity. You might not think it's fair. So God condemned me because of what Eve did and what Adam didn't do, and so therefore I come into the world a sinner. That's reality. It says it right there because all sinned. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. See, that's one side of the coin, Death reigns, and we talk about, well, it wasn't really death. It wasn't really death. I'm still alive. I can play basketball. I can watch TV. I can play video games. I'm not dead, LaVelle. I'm alive. That's because we've redefined what it means to be alive and what it means to be dead. God said, you're dead because you're separated from me, and you need my son. You need Jesus. He's the Savior, So the other side of that, well, there isn't one, folks. Let's just wrap up in prayer. Let's close. We're all going to hell. No, that's not where God left it. That's not where he left it. See, it goes on in Romans to say, but the gift is not like the trespass. How much more will those who receive an abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, amen? That's the gift, folks. So we have the context, we have the content, and we have the consequences. We started off with this Psalm 145 this morning. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. When you stand up on that tower and you're watching out and you're looking out for your brothers and your sisters, and you take time and you look up at God, is that your song? I was telling Connor this week as I was reading through Psalms with him and we're going to bed and I opened it up and I just read it as bland and as monotone as I could. And then I let him listen to this beautiful song. Thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Do you ever break out into song? Do you? Or is it just like. And then you wonder why your kids stopped going to church? Do they see it alive in you? Are you the gospel to those who are lost, deluded, and disillusioned? Are you just a religious person? You a Pharisee? And then someday you're going to get to a point where you say, Why? Why? We can't leave it there, folks. You can take all of that information and you say, well, that's something to consider. That's something to consider, Pastor. Thanks for, thanks for that. Or are you gonna respond? Are you gonna respond? So God, we wanna ask you today. Could you cue it up there, John? We wanna ask today, Lord, would you help us to be like Job. Would you help us to be like Moses and like David? Would you help us to call out to you, to teach us, to instruct us, to hear from you? To show us if there's any evil way, if there's any wickedness inside of us, God, help us to realize that we're not really watching over our relationship with you, with our spouse, with our children, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. Help us to repent of that, God. Help us to turn away from that sin and help us to focus on the purpose and that's to glorify you in all things. Help us to watch over all of our relationships for your glory. We love you and we pray these things in your name. I don't know how the Holy Spirit wants you to respond today. Maybe you've been far away from him. Maybe you have never really known him. Maybe you've just gone through the motions. Maybe you were that kid who just prayed the prayer one day in a church. You've got the card in your pocket. I don't know. But see, the Holy Spirit wants to get a hold of you. Jesus died for all of our sins. That includes you. How will you respond today?